Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, y'all. How's it going? Good? Good? Is everybody ready to um, hear from the Lord this morning? Cool. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Harrison Brashears. I'm one of the Bible study leaders here in Kaya. Um, we lead a Bible study that is evangelistically focused on the Kansas City Art Institute campus. Um, so if you're new here, if you're looking for um, uh, a group to be involved in, some friends to hang out with, people to study the Bible with, um, and talk to, talk to Hunter, talk to Noah, talk to people like Bradley and Elijah. Um, uh, we have a really great time, and we're growing together uh, studying the Word of God. Um, so before we get started, I'm going to start this timer here so I don't go too short or too long. All right, cool. Um, so... Uh, one more thing, uh, my fiance, my beautiful fiance, Jaden, is also sitting over here. Um, she's an incredible human being. Um, if you don't know her, um, I'm sure she'd love to get to know you too. Um, so this morning, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. We're going to be doing a, uh, a, a verse study. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of stretch this over the time that we have. Um, we're going to trust the Lord um, to use it to influence our thought processes and our choices moving forward in the future. Um, this message is sort of kind of what I've heard people talk about as a maintenance message, right? So it's not going to be as deep into Christian history as Brandon's been going in the last few messages that he's preached. It's not going to be going into complex biblical finance applications uh, like Nick's been preaching about, even though both of those things have been extremely, extremely powerful in my life the last few weeks. Um, this is going to be uh, a devotionally focused message. We're going to talk about our relationship with the Lord through his word and how that works itself out in our lives um, daily. Um, and contextually, um, this message and this uh, passage, it's in uh, the book of Ezra, and we're going to take a look at uh, a, a moment in Nehemiah later on. And just to give context, Ezra was the second influential man in a series of three men uh, used of God to transition the nation of Israel out of captivity in Babylon to rebuild and re-inhabit the city of Jerusalem um, and worship there. So before Ezra, a man named Zerubbabel led the charge to rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem. After him, a man named Nehemiah led the charge to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, uh, which is something that a lot of us might be familiar as we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah in our Bible studies. Um, and Ezra, uh, being in between these two men, is important because while Zerubbabel uh, in his ministry brought a focus on the worship of God um, and Nehemiah brought a focus on the work of God's kingdom, Ezra brought a focus on the word of God. Um, and so... From today's message, uh, we can really expect to hear and understand that everything is going to center around uh, our relationship with the Word of God, right? What are our attitudes towards the Word of God? How do we prioritize the Word of God in our life? How do we obey the Word of God as we walk through every day? 
um, and how do we invest it into the lives of other people. Ezra will sort of act as our tour guide and our exhibit A uh, for most of the points uh, that I'm going to make here. And hearing from this verse and having a right understanding of this verse and its devotional application in our lives as New Testament believers, it's important because if we don't get our relationship with God's word right, we'll find ourselves either calling ourselves Christian and simultaneously living a self-focused and self-centered life, or um, we run the danger of falling away from the faith altogether, having truly forgotten um, what brought us to it in the first place, right? Which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so being people of the book is what charges our personal devotion to the Lord, our interaction with others in ministry, as well as our outreach and influence with those people we know need to be born again in Jesus Christ. Um, and so before we get started, I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we can get into it. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, God, and your mercies, God, that are new every morning, Lord. Um, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to worship you, God, and to just sing back these truths about who you are, God. Um, I think it's so easy um, in our ministry to be focused on activity and events and checking things off of a list of boxes, Lord, but what you're really asking from us is worship, and, and worship happens um, as we are, are alone and spending time with you and learning who you are, that your life, that your love, that yourself, that your heart would be translated um, into us and that we would be conformed to your image, God. And so I pray that um, this morning that you would use your word again, God, to make us more like you. Um, bring fruit in our lives, God. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so our theme verse is going to be Ezra 7, verse 10. Um, and I want to bring up Hunter uh, to read this verse out for us. I don't know where the announcements mic went, but I can also just get up really close to him, and he can, <laughs> he can just say it into mine. Is this good? <laughs> so Ezra 7, 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statues and judgments. All right. Thanks, bro. Um, so this is the verse that we're going to keep coming back to all morning here as we're in this, uh, this, uh, in this time together. And uh, before we start, I, I had a little, a little joke. I, I wonder how many people get this. So what does, or maybe it's a riddle, what does Star Wars Vampire Weekend and the Bible all have in common. <laughs> a guy named Ezra is the answer to that question. But I, I guess I'm the only person. <laughs> so much for telling a funny joke. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to read this verse out again. So... Um, <laughs> For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And before we actually get into this verse in particular, I want to go back a little bit in Ezra chapter 7 and read verse 6. Um, because I think that this gives us necessary co uh, context to understand what's going on in verse 10. So Ezra verse 6 says, Ezra 7, verse 6, it says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, 
And he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Right? And so, again, with context here, Ezra was in captivity of Babylon along with many others in the nation of Israel during this time period, right? And this was a, a dark time in the nation of Israel's history. But we see that at this point in the Old Testament, you start to see the light of Christ shining sort of at the end of the tunnel, right? Israel is coming back together, right? And Ezra had caught the vision, right? He had saw the word of God and saw that um, knowing it was a really, really important thing for him to do with his life, right? And it says he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. And just to call out the law of Moses, uh, it talks about this is the first five books of our Old Testament in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? So when we think about the law of Moses, this is the story of creation. It's the story of the fall. It's the story of of Noah, the story of the patriarchs, the inception of the nation of Israel, and their entrance into the promised land. Right? This story tells numerous stories of God's faithfulness to a people that, uh, in a lot of ways, was failing over and over and over again. Right? And you see God's grace and God's mighty power at play in these first five books of the Bible, just as you see it everywhere else in the Bible, but we're focusing on that. So Ezra would have no doubt identified with these, this group of people, right? Um, and he realized that he needed to get a burden for the Lord, just like so many before him had. And so he became a ready scribe. He spent time learning and studying the law of the Lord. Another uh, really important person in the Bible that also spent time studying the law of the Lord was Paul. In Galatians 15, or 1, verses 15 through 20, um, we see Paul essentially in a discipleship period after being intercepted by Christ on the road to Damascus. Galatians 1, 15 through 20 says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Here it is. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went unto, into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. And... For somebody who's spent any time reading the Bible, being in church, it goes without saying, Paul is one of the most influential people to what we do as Christians. His writings from Romans through to Philemon, they solidify the doctrine of the New Testament church and the New Testament Christian and how we have a relationship with God. And he was already an extremely gifted, talented, knowledgeable person by the time he met up with Christ. Right? And, but yet he was using his knowledge for wicked reasons. But all of that knowledge, as we see, it didn't serve him much because he still spent three years after that learning and sitting at the Lord's feet. Right? And so that should be a call out to us, I think. Because I think, you know, it's really similar to what Sam was saying uh, in the previous service. Right? You don't want to go through the spiritual maturity process so slow that it's going to take you 20 years, right? But 
you don't just want to blow through it either. And we see in all of these influential men and women's lives that they're people that took their time, right? They spent time in the word of God. They decided to desire spiritual virtue over academic knowledge, right? First Corinthians chapter eight, verse one says, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. This is a really important thing for us to get because we can learn all kinds of things about the Bible, about Christianity, but if that's not coupled with a desire to be with Jesus, to know him, to have a relationship with him, we run the risk of wasting that. So our key point here is a ready mind is the byproduct of quality time spent with Christ. And when we think about how that plays out in our lives, I think the biggest thing is we need to learn to be still and take our time, especially when we're doing spiritual things, whether that is waking up in the morning and spending time in the word of God, whether that's in your discipleship relationship, whether you're the discipler or you're the apprentice, you're the person being discipled, take your time, ask the relevant questions, really sit and meditate on the things that you're learning. And the same goes for our relationships with LFBI, right? Sam said it perfectly when he said that it shouldn't be the amount of time that you take to go through the program, but it should be the amount of time that it takes for the program to be, um, to be worked out in you and in your life. And then secondly, the other thing to call out is use your time to prepare. So speaking about our time in the Word specifically, have a structure to your time in the Word, right? Whether that's in a book like the book of John or you're being guided through studies um, like, gosh, Mark Trotter's Things Above. What a, a great study and springboard to, um, to a really fruitful time in the Word. Next, another thing to think about is pinpoint the key points in what you're reading. I think this is something I think about a lot, uh, listening to the things that Brandon says up here or whoever's preaching. That knowledge, that fruit that's coming from their time preaching is from just time spent sitting with the Lord. Right? And if men like this can get key points and things that are, are pertinent to us growing in Christ— so can we in our daily time with the word of God. Pray back to God about what he's showing you, right? God, God's word is full of truth statements. It's full of truth ideas. But because we live in a broken and sinful world, those ideas don't immediately show as a reality in our life. And we need to be able to go before God saying, Lord, your word promises that you've given me a spirit of, of power and love and a sound mind, not the spirit of fear. And yet, I feel afraid. So God, I pray you would make a reality in my life that power and love and that sound mind because I know it to be true according to your word. And then uh, the other thing is a relationship, any relationship you have, if it's worth anything, it has a cost. And these men spent three, 
three years or more learning the word of God, investing in relationship with, with God. That time could have easily been funneled somewhere else in their life. And yet, they invested it, and the fruit is, is uh, it's evident in God's word as we read through it. And so, yeah, a ready mind is the byproduct of quality time spent with Christ. All right, now we're going to jump back to Ezra 7, verse 10, and uh, really dive into this verse here. Again, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Right, and um, I want to look at just this idea of Ezra having prepared his heart. Right, not only did Ezra ready his mind in the word of God, but he prepared his heart to seek it. And when we look at the word prepare in the Bible, um, in other verses, the same root is uh, translated as established or set up or fixed. Right? These words all kind of live in the same family together. And these words all sort of reference this building process, this putting in place not to be moved or changed. Preparation is the establishment of a stable structure. And so I'm going to go out on another limb with an illustration and see if, if, if y'all can follow me here. So in, in experimental music, a lot of uh, musicians, technicians, artists, whatever you'd want to call them, they will take an instrument, maybe like a cello or a synthesizer or a guitar or something, and they will manipulate it, right? They'll either tune it to a specific tuning, they'll put little objects on the strings, um, they'll, maybe you'll set an electronic, uh, an electronic device to just drone on a single note, and it sort of breaks our expectations of, of pop music because we, we want change in dynamics. Um, and a lot of these instruments are set up so that they are the thing that they are. They're going to make the sound that they make continually. And you call that a prepared cello or a prepared guitar, right? And I was thinking about this a lot as I was studying through this because that's what God wants to, uh, our, our attitude towards seeking his word to be. It's prepared. It's set. It's fixed. Another uh, image would be like a fixed uh, lens camera, right? When you're using a fixed lens camera, you don't really get to zoom in or out. It's just set the way that it is. And I think so many times our hearts are not like that towards God's word. Um, God's word says this of our hearts in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Right, so the Bible is very clearly describing our hearts as self-centered, self-focused, and deceitful in and of themselves. They're desiring things that are actually unhealthy and hollow in spite of a deeper desire for healing and meaning. And so if we can recognize that, about our hearts, according to what God's word is saying. God actually has a response to that. 
In Proverbs 23, verse 26, it says, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. And Psalm 37, verse 4, says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So there's this process that God is revealing here of us understanding and admitting that the desires of our heart are not always aligned with his, but yet God gives so much grace and he offers so much encouragement and so much hope that we can come to him asking things like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? That's the kind of God that he is. He doesn't condemn us for having um, desires that are not aligned with his, but he gives us a way to call out to him and draw near to him and therein align our desires with his. So our key point here is preparing our heart looks like laying down ours and taking up God's. And again, thinking about ways that this works itself out in our lives, I think a really good way to get application from a lot of scripture is look how Christ applied it in his own life. Um, Christ got alone to be with the Father every single day. Um, And that's in the midst of an extremely busy, filled out schedule of ministering, healing, discipling. Christ was literally God on earth. So think about how much responsibility and weight that was. And yet God, Jesus Christ, he made time to be with uh, his heavenly father every day, his father every day, right? And so should we. Um, I think thinking about Scriptural directions, I think the Psalms are a great place to be inspired in our attitudes of prayer, right? I mean, Seth pulled out a Psalm just earlier, and that completely, I mean, I know for me, like, it totally flipped my mindset going into those last few songs, and I think that when we learn to apply those, bless you, um, when we learn to apply those, they change our attitudes and perspectives radically. And going off that, another thing is, and learn uh, to have a right relationship with praise and worship, right? Not everybody uh, loves praise and worship music more than every single uh, other genre of music. However, singing songs that highlight God's promises and the truth of his word, uh, that helps us to lay down the selfish positions of our hearts and apply this key point and take up God's heart and take up his truth for how we see the world around us and how we see our own selves and our emotions um, and the things that we do. And so I'm going to go back to talking about stringed instruments here. I hope you can forgive me. Um, who, who here has played a stringed instrument at some point in their life? Sorry, guys. This microphone is hard to get used to. So a lot of people in here have played a stringed instrument, right? So if you have, you're probably familiar with the curse of having to tune that instrument all the time. Every time you pick it up, almost, it feels like a string has gone out of tune. And 
you spend all this money on a nice instrument, and what do you know, it still goes out of tune all the time. And that frustration has made me think about, as I was studying through all these things, that that's actually really similar to us. Because whether you have like $150 Squire Strat or you have like a custom shop Jazz Master or like whatever, the strings still go out of tune. Like they, there's not like a, a gauge to how well a guitar stays in tune. It's just a fact of playing a wooden instrument with strings on it. It goes out of tune. And that is our hearts with the Lord. Whether it's every day, every few weeks, every few months, there are times where we need to slow down and reflect on where we're at and where our heart is at. Are we following the paths of our own heart or are we following the paths of the Lord's? Um, and so, again, we're going to do our little trot back to Ezra 7, verse 10. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more in depth about God's word now. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So Ezra sought the law of the Lord, right? His attitude was a seeking attitude. He already had culture in his life of spending quality time with the Lord. He had a lifestyle of prayer and worship. His heart was tuned up. It was aligned with God. And the next thing he did, the other thing that he did was to seek the law of the Lord. Or for us, we can just call it the Bible, the Word of God. Um, and again, I want to look at that word seek a little closer. In other passages, the same root is translated as inquire or require or request. And when we look at words like this, what we see is that there was something Ezra needed from the law of the Lord. He saw that there was something in it for him. And not selfishly, but spiritually. There's something spiritual he's going to get from this. Because we see in this passage in Ezra 7.10 that he didn't, it doesn't say he read it, doesn't say he listened to it. Doesn't say that he thumbed through it. Doesn't say that he listened to it on a podcast half-heartedly while he cleaned his bedroom. He had prepared his heart to seek it. That's what this passage is saying, right? God's Word talks more about seeking the Lord in Jeremiah 29, 13, which says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Man, that causes me to ask myself, when was the last time I was in a place where I was seeking the Lord with all my heart? And what does that look like when I am in that place? In Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Man. 
there is a urgency associated with this. There's a attribution of high value. Our key point here is seeking God's word requires a single-minded attitude. And being single-minded is a, a simple thing, but it's in no ways an easy thing, right? I think, you know, we, we go through these times in life where we're thinking about every morning, right? The, the culture here is like we all get in the Word every morning. We spend time with the Lord. Like, think about what's going on when you wake up in the morning, right? You have maybe Slack messages. You have Instagram notifications. There's guys in the 4 a.m. club that are hitting you up about when they're waking up in the morning, right? Like, all of these things are already popping, turning on, right? But God is asking us to set even those good things aside, right? And seek his word. And again, when we see Christ as the example here, uh, if we look at Hebrews 12 too, Christ's heart is seeking us. And that should be a given, but I mean, in this context, I think it's sort of profound because he's asking us to seek him, right? And what better way to learn how to seek him than to learn the way that he has laid down his life to seek us. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, like, what are we seeing here? Christ saw joy through the difficulty and inconvenience of the cross. Like, can we imagine that? Unimaginable pain, unimaginable suffering, both physical and mental. And yet Jesus saw the vision of countless people, countless lives redeemed and changed and given eternal life unto the glory of God. And it was that joy that allowed him through that thing. I don't know if there's a way to understate that. And yet, what, what's God asking from us? He's asking us to have a relationship with him, to walk with him, to know him according to his word. And it pains me to say that that would be a burden, and yet in our flesh, it is. And yet we can see past that, right? We can see past the burden of walking with Christ. And yet that burden is very light, God's word tells us. Because, again, being still, being focused, being single-minded, it's not easy. But yet God's joy and fruit is accessed through that. So that is a really, uh, really profound thing that God's word is saying. Um, and another way to look at this is the Bible, it constantly compares the church of Jesus Christ to a bride, right? While Christ is pictured 
as the groom. And for any of us that have been in a serious romantic relationship, that's not a passive endeavor, is it? There's activity associated with that. There's a single-minded attitude associated with that. Choosing to love someone and dwelling with them according to knowledge, that takes a lot of quality time and a lot of intentional focus, right? We, none of us are perfect, right? And even the married couples in here could probably say of each other that each other, we're not perfect, right? And yet, we've loved each other. We've chosen to love each other. We've chosen to make these sacrifices for each other and fight for our love over months and years. And that is a really special thing. And I think God wants to use that and use that picture to show us what having a single-minded attitude looks like, right? Because when you choose someone for life, when you choose to marry them, you're saying no to everyone else. When we perform wedding ceremonies here, the, what is said is, right, you're making a covenant with this person and you're forsaking all others. Has that happened with our relationship with Christ? When we think about the other things that our affections are tied to? Right, when you love someone, you don't have those thrilling feelings of love every single day. Right? Yet real love looks like fighting for it, not out of obligation, not because you feel like you have to, but because you know it's worth it. This is the exact attitude that God desires from those who would seek him in his word. Um, our next section here, we're going to look at how Ezra 7.10 talks about obedience. Now let's look at that passage again. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. All right, so we're seeing that Ezra, he did the law of the Lord. So after completely establishing a right attitude in his heart and in his mind, with a single focus on the word of God, he took what he heard and he did it. And obedience, it isn't explicitly mentioned in this passage, but the scriptures tell us that obedience is to live out the word of God. The first few mentions of the word obey or obedience in our King James Bible happened in Genesis 22, 26, 27, and 28. And the things that all these verses have in common is that they're all told from either God to man or from parent to child. Okay, interesting. The phrase, my voice, always follows. And our example here would be Genesis 27, verse 8. It says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And again, maybe if you're skimming through that passage, that doesn't hold a ton of weight. But yet, when we look at it with this kind of focus here, we see that um, to obey it's to hear a command or a truth claim and behave as if it were so, right? Rather than hearing a command or a truth claim, only to behave in denial of it, right? And so, again, I don't know how much this is needed, but it really helped me. Like when you think about maybe two brothers 
playing with each other. So like maybe like Hunter and Joaquil are playing with each other as kids and Hunter has a toy and Joaquil has a toy, um, but Hunter decides he wants to take Joaquil's toy away. And then dad walks in and Joaquil's really sad. Hunter's like kind of gloating over him or something. I don't know. And dad's like, Hunter, give your brother the toy back. And Hunter has two different directions he could go here, right? He could be, yes, it's Joaquil's toy. I need to give it back to him. And so he would obey the voice, the command of his father and give it back to him. Or he could say, dad's not saying anything. I, the truth of this is not there. So I'm just going to either walk away with it or, um, you know, just not give it back. Um, so the significance of obedience here, it's not as clear with uh, our obedience to the Bible, right? Because God isn't standing over us as a, as a human parent telling us what to do um, uh, in a visible sense, right? So hence, we have an entire culture, right, in Laodicea, like we were talking about in last service, of people that are calling themselves Christians, right? And maybe they went to seminary, so they have a really, really deep knowledge of the Bible in whatever sense you might see that knowledge of. Or maybe they've been at church for a little while and they come and they're on the worship team. They like to um, play guitar. And so it's an avenue for them to have a, a musical outlet with people. But somehow along the way, they started calling themselves Christian and identifying with the group of people. And yet the true relationship with the Lord, a relationship with Jesus Christ, according to his word, is non-existent. And maybe that can be true of us from time to time right? Walking with the Lord Jesus according to the truths and commandments of the Word of God is perhaps something entirely different than what these other folks concern themselves with. Because when we look at Ezra, in this, in this, even in this one verse, we see that he's not having an interest in becoming knowledgeable of world religions with an emphasis in biblical studies. It's not what he's doing. And he's also not desiring to live an efficient and better life with the, uh, the help and influence of Judeo-Christian principles, right? It's not about him and how he's trying to build himself up in whatever way that you might think he would, right? Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. <laughs> that is extremely profound, our key point here is obedience <laughs> requires the word of God to reach our feet. And I haven't talked about feet yet in this message. <laughs> so that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, what I mean by this is God's word is meant to come in here, come in here, and go all the way down here, right? Amen. right? It's not for us to just little waller around in our mind and be able to correct everybody that doesn't know, right? It's not for us to hold in our heart and have this Jesus is my boyfriend mentality of <laughs> going to the coffee shop all the time and like posting pictures of your wide margin with all the notes in it even though both of those things are not necessarily bad things, <laughs> right? 
Like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like, like flame on anybody for that stuff. But God's word is meant to enter into us and influence the way we live our lives, the decisions that we make every single day. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? His word is what shows us where to go in a dark world. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And again, there's nothing wrong with being faithful to your local church, faithful to your Bible study, faithful to go to the worship nights and do LFBI and all of these things, right? But if that's not undergirded by us actually walking with Christ, by the words of all of those songs that we were singing, for those to actually be ingrained and written on our hearts, then we're spinning our wheels, right? Like Sam says, we're playing at it. God is asking us to obey him in the little things in our life, the things that maybe nobody even sees at first. Finally, I want to talk about the end of this verse, about teaching, about investing. So back to Ezra 7, verse 10. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So if you've been following along closely and taking notes so far, I'm sure you're seeing the direction of, of where this path is going in Ezra's life. Right? God is giving us through this, just this verse even a blueprint for the mature, faithful Christian life. Right, So Throughout history, throughout the dispensations of God's grace, we see faithful people in God's word investing their walk with the Lord with the younger, more immature generation. And this is what we're going to start to see Ezra do here in this verse. Right? The relationship between Paul and Timothy is a very strong example of this. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2 say, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me, your discipler of the word of God, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Right? And so Ezra is no different here. Right? The ultimate call on his life through all of these things, it wasn't just for all of this to be a microcosm inside of himself, but it was to invest the word of God into the souls of men and women. And we see this determination to do that here um, uh, in our theme verse for a message and as well as later on when he comes back out in uh, Nehemiah. Um, so Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Um, if you want to flip there, you can. If you don't, we're going to have it cycling through on the slides. Those will turn over really fast. So um, let's just read it out here. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. All right, so 
Israel is celebrating the Feast of Booths for the first time, right, since they've been all gathered back together. So many young people who have never had a proper introduction to the Word of God, to the Law of Moses, are hearing it for the first time, preached with mightiness and power. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the Law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Right, everybody's listening upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people that were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra, the, stri- the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah and Shema and Aniah and Urihah and Hilkiah and Maaseiah. On his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshalom. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Man, right? You start with a couple faithful people that see the vision, that see what the Lord wants to do in building his kingdom and bringing souls to redemption and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when this word, right, it's dispersed in power over people, lives change. People catch the vision and the ministry, it explodes unto the glory of God. So our key point here, our ultimate act of obedience lies in the faithful investment of God's word into the souls of men and women. And again, this isn't brand new stuff, right? These are things that we talk about, but this is our heartbeat. Are you investing God's word into someone or people? And don't start at, at oh, well, well, I'm apprenticing, so I am, or I lead a Bible study, so I am. Is your heart bent towards investing the word of God, to seeing the value of this book, and translating it into someone else's life through studying, studying it together, right? Through living life together, through asking questions and, and finding out new things, right? It has to be something that our heart is involved in. It's a labor. It's a labor of love, but it's a labor. So questions we can ask ourselves concerning this are, Who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? We talk about this in leadership, in uh, you know the Bible study leaders and stuff. Do you have someone investing in you, and or are you investing in someone else? Right? No matter the maturity level of people we see in Scripture, there was discipleship taking place. Right? Joshua had Moses. Timothy had Paul. Right? The twelve disciples had the Lord Jesus Christ investing in them daily, and it changed the course of human history. Right? And then, you know, who's your Timothy? No matter how mature or immature you are, there should be somebody that you are investing in. So 
Is there a family member that you're reaching out to, you're trying to get closer to, that you want to see God's life translated into theirs, right? Or a coworker, or a, a student in your cohort, um, or, you know, like what have you. God has someone for us to be ministering to, right? And it takes all of these things that we've previously talked about, a deep uh, relationship with Scripture, a deep relationship with Christ, and a desire to see that life change happen in somebody else's life. And then I also want to just take a look, you know, kind of zooming out and looking at all the things we've said. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. You've recently touched on this verse in, in Kaya, and I think that it just keeps giving every time I go back to it. It says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. We all have the capacity to do the right things, to even do biblical things. But if we fail at the foundational steps that we visited maybe earlier in this message of getting before God, of having an attitude of worship towards him, um, then we might be messed up. The whole thing might be messed up if we don't visit those early steps and go back to our first love, right? And talking about our focus now, ultimately, um, in the hustle and bustle of ministry, uh, we can put our focus into things, again, like showing up to events, going to retreats and hangouts, right? Practicing five or six songs every week to serve in ministry. And none of those are bad things, but what God ultimately wants from us is to see him in his glory for who he is and bow down before him and acknowledge him for who he is, right? He desires our heart. And I think that in the rush that we can be in to check all the boxes, we can actually hold back the thing that he wants the most from us. Um, and so as we wrap up here, um, I want to go, uh, Seth, you can come up and, and uh, gear up for another worship song or two. But I want us to look uh, at the very middle of Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. And again, I think this sums up a lot of what God's been, been talking about this morning in his word. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit, right? And then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's the process, y'all. God wants us to confess our sins. He wants us to choose Christ, to choose the grace that he gave as he died on the cross, was buried and rose again three days later. And in that love relationship, the Lord uses us. He brings fruit from our lives, not because of anything we can do or have done, but because of his working in and through our lives. And so, um, 
Yeah, with that, I'm going to pray us uh, into some more worship. And again, if you feel like anything in this message uh, this morning resonated with you, if you see an area in your life where these things aren't true, if you feel like you've been following the path that your heart wants to take rather than the path that God's heart is leading you in, um, there's going to be folks up here that love you, they want to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about, and they want to show you that God has a response for your heart with his heart in the word. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to pray, and uh, we can continue. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, it is perfect. It's holy, Lord God. And when everything around us, God, uh, fails, when our expectations don't get met by the world, when things that promise to us healing and rest and relief actually just create more anxiety and depression in our lives, Lord, your word stays the same. God, your promises stay true. God, you haven't moved anywhere, Lord. You desire intimacy with us. You desire us to enjoy a life and a walk with you. Lord, as we close this morning, I ask that you'd renew that joy of our salvation in us this morning. God, I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.